We've been going through a few psalms over the past few weeks, and today we're going to look at Psalm 57. It's great to be back after a few weeks away. Um, greetings from our friends in Ukraine. Um, myself, Emma, and Mikey had a great time in Ukraine. It was just really great to see the church out there, see how they're just relying on God in difficult times. And uh, we really felt we were able to deposit something around children's work into the church. So uh, the missions team will be getting an update to you and we'll let you know what happened and how we're going to be connecting with various overseas missions. But it's just good to be back with my family. You glad to see me? Thank you, Martin. I appreciate that. So, Psalm 57. Let's have a look at this together. For the director of music. This is the next bit, Gaz. To the tune of Do Not Destroy. That happy, cheerful, wonderful tune, Do Not Destroy. Are you reading this with me? This is the little introduction bit in your Bible. Is it come up on the... Oh, we've missed it off. The internet apparently doesn't have the introduction. This is an anointed bit of God's word, okay? So Psalm 57 doesn't actually start at verse 1. There's a little introduction before we get to verse 1. For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David. David wrote the psalm. A miktam. Anybody know what a miktam is? (laughs) it's a tune we have no idea we actually don't know what a miktam is Um, the closest guess we get to what a miktam is is a wind instrument or something to do with a wind instrument now I know some of the young men in the church have some wind instruments but it's not that kind of wind instrument okay so this is of David this is a miktam we're not quite sure what a miktam is but that's okay Let's not worry about that. Now, this is the interesting bit. When he had fled from Saul into the cave. So this song, this psalm, was written in a cave. Now, when we listen to a song, many songs have a story behind them. Um, When I was a child, back in 2003... Um, we used to sing hymns in church. Can anybody else remember singing hymns in church? Fantastic. We still do, said the visitors in the front. We need to get with the program, become a proper church, and sing some proper hymns. Right. Now, if you're a proper church, you don't read words off the screen like that. You have a hymn book, yeah? I, I, no, 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 that apparently use the screen. I remember being a child and we used to have a, a red hymn book. Yeah? It was called Redemption Hymnal. The red hymn book. And uh, then something really radical happened in our church and we got a blue hymn book. Oh, controversial, I know. Um, and there's a few hymns that I can remember singing as a kid. And one of, the, one of the hymns I can remember was, It is well with my soul. 
Do you guys know that hymn? It is well. Okay, hang on. There's a, there's a response, okay? See what we do. It is well. That is terrible. <laughs> With my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. And we used to sing like that when I was a child. Thank you. Now that, that, that hymn, my, my favorite hymn actually, I love the words to that hymn. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows, like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to know it is well. It is well with my soul. Now that um, hymn has a story behind it. Um, I've talked about this before, so I won't spend too long, but a guy called Horatio Spafford wrote this hymn. And he had to sing It Is Well With My Soul because he had a really strange name and lots of people took fun of him. For No, that wasn't the reason, okay. Wasn't that funny. I'll scrub that out next time. He basically um, was on a boat, and the reason why he was on his boat is because he was traveling to see his wife in England. His wife and his four daughters had gone ahead of him. The ship had collided with something else, and his four daughters were lost at sea. So Horatio Spafford is sitting in his cabin, he's on his bed, I don't know, with his pencil and paper. And, and you can imagine the emotions and the stuff just churning up around him, thinking about his wife that he's going to see, thinking about his daughters who are lost. I mean, this is, a, this is a tragic moment in his life. And in this moment, he encourages himself in the Lord. And he says, soul, come on, come on, it is well. With my soul. My world might be falling apart right now, but you know what? Jesus isn't. He is still ruling and he is still reigning. He is still present. He is still loving. And I'm gonna I'm gonna write a song right now that encourages me in the grace and the mercy of God. What a powerful thing. I mean it, it, it puts some of our problems into light, doesn't it? I mean, what have you been stressed about this week? I did a little rewrite of this, um, this song. When I am at Asda and the queue is really long and my children are driving me round the bend and the shopping bag breaks on the way to the car, it is well, it is well, you know. Some of our problems are really pathetic, aren't they? But, I mean, life is all about perspective, isn't it? But I reckon if Horatio Spafford can write that hymn, thinking about the loss of his daughters, then I can have some peace in the mayhem of Asda. And this psalm is about a man who was going through a really difficult thing. This wasn't just a happy, clappy moment where David was just feeling all bubbly and emotional 
and he was having a great day. Oh, let me write a song about the goodness of God. No, he was going through some tough stuff. He was in a cave. Let me just read some verses from 1 Samuel that kind of summarize a little bit what David was going through at this time. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, it says, All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around David. Ooh, how encouraging. This was a really interesting church that David had. Because to be part of David's church, to be a member of David's church, there was a little membership test. And the membership test of being part of David's church was that you had to have a really big problem. And apparently the problem needed to begin with D. Uh, You need to be in distress. You needed to be in debt. You need to be discontented. I mean, this is not a great bunch of people around, around, you know, to have around you when you need some encouragement, is it? This is a, a difficult group of people. This was his mates, his church, his followers, his encouragers. In 1 Samuel 30, it says this. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left. How many people have cried? Don't need to put up your hand, but in the last few weeks, things have been so tough. You shed some tears. Things have been so pressing in on you that you, know, you haven't been able to contain your emotions and tears have poured out. But David and his men, manly men, yes, they were in debt and a bit discontented, but they were men. These men, they cried and didn't just stop. The reason they stopped crying is because they had no strength left from their crying. That sounds pretty bad. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6 gets better. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. This is encouraging. Because if Horatio Spafford can write, it is well with his soul. If David, who is in his cave, Dave in his cave is sitting there with his bunch of discouraged, depressed, discontented, debted men. And they're talking about stoning him and all this kind of stuff. He can write a beautiful psalm that points the way to heaven. This is encouraging. Because if David can do it, we can do it too. Verse 1 says this. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Here's the first thing I'd like you to write down this morning. Have you got your notepads? Got your pens? Get your iPhones out. Maybe write on there. Here's the first thing. God's presence is the place of our protection. God's presence is the place of our protection. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. Dave is in this cave because he's running away from a madman. A man who is jealous of him, a man who wants to kill him, 
a man who wants to destroy him, King Saul, was just filled with rage and anger at Dave. Now Dave decides to hide in a cave. And that sounds like a sensible thing to do. If there is a madman after you, a good place to go is, is a cave. I think that makes sense. Does that make sense to you? That made sense to me. It's a place to go to. But then Dave is sitting in his cave, and I'm thinking, a cave, in some ways, it might feel safe, but in other ways, it's not the most encouraging place to be, is it? I mean, you're sitting there on your boulder, and it's dark, and it's damp, and it's cold. It's not a great place. And here's the thing I want to say. Sometimes we go to places that we think will protect us, but when we get to those places that we think they're going to be places of protection, they're not places of protection, but they're prisons. How many of us have had maybe a relationship where you put so much confidence in this person? Maybe a, a romantic relationship where, you know, th- th- this person was going to be your protection. They were going to be your refuge. They were going to be the one who loves you and going to be your rock and be the one who is just there for you all the time. And then you're in that relationship and you realize, hang on, hang on. The cave looked strong from the outside, but now I'm in the cave. This place looks a bit of a prison. This person's let me down. This person cannot give me the protection that I need. Maybe for some of us here this morning, we might have an emotional cave. You know, there's, there's, there's emotions or, or things stirring in our souls. Unforgiveness, bitterness, you know, stuff that is, is swimming around there. That it, it just feels like we're trapped It feels like, how are we ever going to get out of this? I'm in this cave. There is a man outside and he wants to kill me. What am I going to do? Maybe for some of us it's a a, a habit, a pattern of behavior in our life. that We do it because there's a a temporary fix that that by going to that place, we think, wow, this is going to... Well, I don't think we even think it's going to meet our needs, but there's something about it that lures us in. And when we do that thing over and over again, and we know it's not pleasing to God, it becomes a prison. Well, this is where Dave was at. He was in his cave. And he was saying, do you know what? I want to remind myself right now that stuff, things, people, weapons, the the bunch of idiots I've got around me, all of that stuff will not protect me. In you, Lord, I find my refuge. It's only in the presence of Jesus that we are really safe. It's only as we hang out with him that we can know true peace. Can I ask you this morning, is the presence of Jesus Something that you are just obsessed about. That man, you wake up in the morning and it's like the presence of Jesus. God, I've got to have you. 
I've got to be with you today. I, I know in my mind you're with me. You never leave me. But Lord, I want your tangible presence in my life. Is there such a passion around the presence of Jesus that there is a determination to say, God, if there is anything in my life that compromises me taking refuge in you, being with you, then I'm going to root it out. I'm going to get rid of it. It might not even be a black and white kind of issue. Something that is, you know, well, that's a sin and that's not a sin. It might be a gray area, but there's such a determination within you to, to, to welcome the presence of Jesus because you know he is your refuge that you say, God, root out anything in me that compromises me walking with you. Even if, you know, it's just 1% bad. God, I don't want it. I want to run away from it. Because your presence is all that I need. What is your cave this morning? Whatever it is, however dark it is, however strong the army might be outside, here's the encouraging thing. That God's purpose is the promise of your deliverance. Let's look at the next verse. I cry out to God most high. To God who fulfills his purposes for me. I am a terrible finisher. I'm great at starting things. I drive my team mad. Because I love to start things. I'm not very good at finishing stuff. Anybody else relate to that? Two and a half of us. Okay, I really, really need a lot of help. You know, God is great at starting things. He's also great at finishing things. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you're in a cave, if you're in a place in your life that is unexpected, is like a a, a turn, not necessarily a U-turn, but it's like one of those God turns. You thought you were going to go this way, but actually, you know, God's kind of taking you around this way. When we were driving, going on to holiday, I, was, I got Google Maps up on the phone and the, the driving thing, and it's constantly telling you different ways to go. Do you, do you find, like, I get to the junction, it says, oh, if you go this way, it might be two minutes slower or three minutes quicker. And you're constantly, oh, I thought I was going to go that way, but maybe, you know, life can be like that, can't it? There was a, um, a guy called Charlie Shedd. And Charlie Shedd, another great name, was probably friends with Horatio Spafford. Uh, Probably not, actually. Um, Charlie Shedd uh, was apparently an expert on raising children because he taught the country giving little talks, little conferences, little chats about how to raise children. His talk was called this, The Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Children. Then, Charlie Shedd had a life event. And his life event was he had a child. His talk was slightly adapted after his first child. After his first child, it went from the Ten Commandments for Raising Perfect Children to Ten Hints for Parents. Then Mr. Shedd had another life event. He had another child. And after child number two, 
It went from 10 hints to parents to a few tentative suggestions for fellow strugglers. After his third child, he quit doing the talk altogether. Life doesn't always turn out as we expect it to. Do I have some amens to that? And this was the case for David. Did David expect to be sitting here in his cave? If we go back in the story, here is David, a boy, and he is anointed before his brothers, before his father, by the man of God. The man of God, Samuel, says to David, this is the direction of your life. You are going to be king. And there is an anointing upon you, young man, and you need to go for it. And it starts off well. He kills the big guy, Goliath. People start singing songs about him. David has killed his tens of thousands. There was a slight concerning second line to the song that went, Saul has killed his thousands. And that's where, where the troubles began, that Saul became jealous. King Saul looked at this young man and he's thinking, I'm just so jealous of what God's doing in this man. And, and, and things just begin to deteriorate in a natural sense in David's life. And he finds himself, I, I think he would expect to be sitting on a throne in a palace. But he's not sitting on a throne in a palace. He's sitting on a rock in a cave. Can you relate to that? That sometimes life doesn't quite take you the direction that you want to go in? That unexpected things turn up? For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we know the story that they didn't bow down to the idol, that Nebuchadnezzar built his fantastic golden image, and they refused to bow down. And I'm sure these three godly men, they prayed, God, help us. Maybe, Lord, when we don't bow down, Lord, maybe just close people's eyes so they, they don't see us. But God didn't answer that prayer. Well, well Lord, just... just Maybe if somebody sees us, help, help Nebuchadnezzar not to know. May they not go, Lord, and tell Nebuchadnezzar what... God didn't answer that prayer. And I'm sure all along the way, there was a sense of, God, if you can deliver us from this fire, then deliver us. But God never delivered them from the fire. What did God do? He met with them in the fire. And sometimes our lives, they take unexpected turns. And we find that God doesn't necessarily deliver us from the fire, but he meets with us in the fire. And you know what? The miracle is greater. Because here's the thing. God does his best work in caves. I want to remind you about another cave that another man was in. That they thought they had killed this man, they had destroyed him, that they'd robbed him of all his power. But there was a man 2,000 years ago who was put in a cave, in a tomb. And this tomb could not hold him. Because the resurrection power of God was upon him. And we know him to be the man that we worship this morning, Jesus. God does some of his best work in caves. So if you're in a cave this morning, I want to encourage you that God's plans and purposes will be worked out in your life. You may not understand it. It might be a little bit, I mean, the well-used illustration is a bit of tapestry. 
You know, that from the underside of the tapestry, you look up and it's a mess. You've got string and threads going everywhere, colors all a mess. And sometimes we look at life and it looks like that. But from the top, from God's perspective, he is weaving something beautiful into your life. Even whilst you're in your cave. David knew this. He knew that God's purpose to God who fulfills his purposes in me. Sometimes when life takes us on a bit of a a God turn, we want to take a shortcut, don't we? We think, God, you've given me the promise. We start in the spirit. That's that phrase in the New Testament. We start in the spirit, but we end in the flesh. Because we receive the promise, God speaks to us, and it's like, wow, that's amazing, God. But then God's timing is not the same as our timing. We're not very patient, and we want to cut some corners. David faced this temptation. There were, there were some opportunities where it almost appeared like God was delivering King Saul into his hands. Where David could have taken the life of King Saul. And, and as you read the story, it almost seems like, wow, that... that that, that was God. That was God's miracle. But David, he refused to take any shortcuts. God, I'm not going to try and work this out on my own. I'm not going to touch your anointed. I'm not going to touch the king because, God, you have promised that I will be king. You have anointed me. And, God, you're going to work it out. You're going to do it. Oh, man, if I could only learn this lesson. How many times in my life have I started doing something in God's strength? And then I've got impatient, or I've got cocky, and I've got proud. And I thought, you know what, I'll work, I'll work it out from here, Lord. Thank you very much. Thank you for getting me rolling. Thank you for giving me the idea. I've got it now, Lord. I'll be fine. And then, <clears throat> and I find myself in the cave, maybe, because God's trying to teach me, no, listen, I'm your protection. Well, David had done everything right, and still he is in this cave. But he knew God was going to work out his purposes. Here's the last thing. In fact, before we do that, just take out your phone right now. Who's got a phone? Thank you. You might notice there's a little button on your phone. If you press the button, my phone, you have to hold it down for a little bit. It's called power off. You may have never seen this button before. Okay? If you hit power off, something magical happens to your phone. Comes up a little message. Just wants to make sure you know what you're doing. Are you really sure you want to do this? Do you want to disconnect yourself? This is a little word Mark had this morning. You know, my phone to me, it kind of represents all my connection with, with everything on, on planet Earth. Some of it good, you know, most of it good, I hope. Um, my contacts, my diary, all the things, all my plans, all my to-do lists. Do you know what? All that stuff sometimes, it's a distraction for God working out his purposes in my life. Can you relate to that? That sometimes we just get so distracted by what life is throwing at us And I want to to encourage you this morning, turn off your phone. As in, you know, we need to live in a spirit that says, God, you know, 
the, my way of working at things, my purposes and my plans are rubbish. So I'm going to turn off my plans and I'm going to focus on you. That was a great word, Mark. That was excellent. So the last thing. God's greatness is the basis for our confidence. Let's look at these next three verses. He sends from heaven and saves me. Aren't you glad that when God helps us, he sends help from a different place? Yeah? You're not very excited. I mean, just think about where God's help comes from. It comes from somewhere totally different to the kind of help that we can get here on planet Earth. His kingdom, his rule of authority is just, it's so powerful. He sends help from heaven, a different place, and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Don't you just love the honesty of the Psalms? That the Psalms are not kind of a a positive thinking kind of thing. If I just think about all the positive stuff, then it'll all be good. No, the Psalms are really honest. David is always honest about the problems that he's facing. But the thing is, he always comes back to this theme, this thing. And here it is. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. However big my problems are, however much I'm intimidated by the things that are in my cave and outside of my cave and around my cave, however much in fear I am, I am so thankful that those problems, those influences are afraid of the help that comes from heaven. Do you sometimes feel intimidated by the stuff life throws at you? Okay, that's just me again. Um, You guys are not very responsive this morning. Do you guys get intimidated? Do you get afraid? Can we be real for a moment? Take our church face off and just, you know, chat for a bit? I mean, the the amount of stuff that I, I feel intimidated by sometimes, preaching being one of them. You know, sometimes on a Sunday morning, this is one of the biggest battles of my life. But you know what? It's okay. I'm being honest with you. I hope you don't mind. It's okay. Because whatever is intimidating me is intimidated by the presence of Jesus. So if I can just focus on him, if I can just allow him to come into my preaching and what I'm doing and my preparation, do you know what? It's all going to be okay. Because in his presence, I take Refuge. Jesus said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you notice there, he's not saying, I do resurrection. I mean, he did do resurrection. That was very cool. And we're glad for that, that he did that. But he didn't say, I do resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. It's a very different thing doing something to being something. The power of Jesus is so strong that he doesn't just do resurrection. He is resurrection. That wherever he goes, he brings resurrection power. And I want to tell you this morning that he wants to come into your cave and he wants to bring his resurrection power. 
He wants to be with you in, in ways you can't even imagine. I was getting really excited about this verse this morning. Colossians 1 verse 27. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. That's a great phrase, isn't it? That God has chosen to make known to us the glorious riches of this mystery. What's the mystery? Which is Christ in you. Christ in you. That the same Christ that was in that cave 2,000 years ago, and that cave could not hold him, that Christ is in you. Okay, we're not very excited about that. I'm going to need to hammer this point home a little bit. What Paul is saying here is, you know, there's a sense that we look up and we see God, Dave, in his cave. He's looking around at his dark, damp situation and, and there's something within him that says, Dave, look up, see God, see what he can do. But Paul is telling us something even deeper and more powerful than that. There's not only a sense of we can look up, but that power from heaven, that, that person of Jesus, he comes and he lives within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That there is something within me right now that will bring resurrection life to anything situations will throw at me. doesn't matter what I'm going through, whether it be, you know, a long day at Asda or, you know, my, my children are really sick, my children are passed away, you know, somebody's trying to kill me. doesn't matter what the problem is. Any problem that, that gets thrown at me is, is so insignificant compared to the resurrection power of Jesus. And that power of Jesus, it lives within me. It lives within you. So how do we bust out of our cave? Well, sometimes it takes longer than what we think or what we hope. But I want to tell you, if you're in the cave, you're busting out of the cave, you're about to enter into the cave, it doesn't matter because the mystery of the glorious riches of God has been made known to us. And that is Jesus Christ within us. And it brings David to a point, time and time again, of saying, be exalted. Don't you just want to worship when you think about this stuff? Can we do that now? Shall we stand? Let's stand together. Worship team, come forward. You know, I I may have some problems right now. I may have some stuff that I'm going through. But I don't really want to think about that stuff. I don't want that to be my meditation this morning or I'm going to meditate on all the things that I'm going through. It's not that I deny those things. It's not that I have to be dishonest about that stuff. It's not even that I have to cover that stuff up. But I just want to change my perspective. Change my perspective. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to worship. We're going to take communion together this morning. How powerful is communion? Awesome. That we have a way, a physical way of remembering that Jesus bust out of his cave, that he died for us, that his body, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us so that we could be friends with him, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be healed. It doesn't matter what's in your cave this morning, the blood of Jesus, it washes it away. It washes it away.